Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. This is Chris Hout, Aim Coach, and this is episode 106. And while my goal with the Weekly Word Podcast is to bring out the best athlete version in all of you listening, because I believe it contributes the overall best version of you, that tiny slice of athlete version of you, how it contributes and seeps and influences the rest of you, your day, the version of yourself. Today is June 6th, 2019. And on a side note, and something that I always like to share is that today's a meaningful day. And when I talk about that best athlete version of ourselves and how it contributes to the best overall version of ourselves, it's today that the overall best version of so many young Americans, Canadians, Brits, men and women gave their lives as they approached the beaches of Normandy and D-Day. And I know you might be rolling your eyes right now and going, where is Chris going with this? But it's just something that I thought ties into a lot of what we talk about because their sacrifice, the courage, the bravery, the fear, the confusion, the sense of lack of control, the not being able to prepare like they did for something like that, where your landing craft, the doors drop and you're stuck approaching a beach where there's a very high likelihood that you will be injured or killed, all in the name of something bigger, of something that you stand for. And it ties back to so many things I talk about on this podcast, all 105 of them tie into the single premise here of you're doing it because you said you would. These young men, and in many cases also women, signed up for something bigger than them in a belief and because they said they would. They said they would protect the world against evil. They said they would commit to their army, their navy, their air force, whatever it was. And to put your life on the line, literally to put your life at risk any second, knowing that you will, might, could, should, often um, had a certainty prior that you were going to die, is what I believe the highest, highest form of courage. And remember, courage isn't a lack of fear. Courage is, despite the fear, doing what's right, doing things because you said you would. And I can't help but respect and think and be in awe of all those men and women who not only pay the ultimate sacrifice, but all those veterans that today and the few remaining from that time, the lives they lived, knowing the um, crazy, crazy turmoil and confusion and impact that that day held for the rest of their lives and for many generations to come. And so besides the thank you for your service, besides the gratefulness that there were men and women out there willing to do something like this. I mean, we all talk about being brave. We all talk about our willingness to serve and do things. But how many of us truly can go to that level 
will you blindly, with a clear conscience, and because you said you would step off that landing craft, go waist deep in freezing cold water, bullets whizzing by you like in a crazy, crazy sense of confusion and an invasion in that respect into pure danger, into certain injury and death, and yet doing it and without fear. Of course, I mean, that's not true, not without fear, but continuing to move forward and on. And here we talk about athlete version of ourselves and endurance and sacrifice and going deep and the being strong mentally besides just being strong min- physically about how our soul ties into the physical and mental self and the whole perspective, the whole vision of being an athlete. These men and women jumping off those landing craft, jumping out of those planes behind enemy lines, um, doing all the things that they did, being inserted into the countryside from the north and the south. I mean, that is to me the ultimate, ultimate sign of heroes, endurance athletes, and tying together everything that I think we search for these days and why we do a lot of these endurance events. The meaning, the challenge, the struggle, the fact that we in our safe and peaceful society don't have an enemy lurking over a hill a horde of, you know, crazy, uh, uh, you know, enemies coming over the hill ready to attack us. That lack of struggle, that lack of meaning, I feel a lot of us are subconsciously and many of us even consciously trying to bring forth in our daily lives. By having an athletic struggle in our day, it allows us to deal better with the other struggles in our day. It allows us to calm our anxiety and our internal um, voices that because evolutionarily we have always had a struggle, whether it is um, fighting off um, animals and survival in that respect to other tribes and territorial things to today where there is really no struggle and there is really no danger. And our biggest danger is sickness or is, um, you know, from society with regards to getting hit by a car or little uh, details like that. But yeah, so today, D-Day, June 6th, uh, 2019, 75-year anniversary, and those courageous men and women, I just want to give them their respect and the complete appreciation and awe that so many of them, um, watching the footage, reading the accounts again, and I have a soft spot for this anyway, because I believe soldiers, I believe the military, their willingness to do things at that level and put their lives on the line every day for us um, is absolutely incredible. And um, people I respect so, so deeply. So thank you for letting me just share that just now and um, bearing with me on uh, something like this that is meaningful to me and I like to talk about and share because 
if I can have a few more people in the world hear stories of how remarkable those ladies and men were and the contribution they made and giving those veterans and those that gave their lives for us a little bit more recognition, well, I will gladly talk eight minutes about that. So thank you. So what are we going to talk about on this episode 106 of the Weekly Word Podcast? Well, <laughs> I am going to do this as a continued focus on the email questions I've received and catch up on so many um, insights, questions, and updates that I have pending out there. I've been traveling a fair amount, finally back from Boulder and Europe and all my travels, getting into the final stages of Alaska Man preparation here this turn to summer. It's June. And uh, yeah, I want to dive into all the, the open questions that I still have and tie that into some bigger uh, concepts of um, the mindset of being an athlete, um, the daily commitment it takes to being an athlete, not just somebody who exercises, but somebody who's an athlete. The mindset it takes, the intention that you have with your training, not just because that feels good, but because you know this is the work that needs to be done. And, you know, I don't get through a week with athletes, whether in their training plans or conversing with them and communicating with them, where there aren't a few athletes that aren't always surprised with how much this endurance shift requires and this movement into a new, healthier, focused lifestyle of being an athlete and training, not just exercising. And it's a difficult transition for many. And from that perspective, it's hard to explain that to athletes prior to getting into it. Um, and that's why I don't say no to many athletes based off of their skill and their level and their results. It's more, let's dive into it for a few weeks, and then you will see and understand it, the endurance lifestyle, the commitment, the training, the needs, the organization, the planning required for it. And then we'll have a better understanding of what possibly your outcomes and your events might be. Of course, most athletes come to me from a perspective of I've signed up for this. That's the easy part. And now I'm looking to train with intention towards this. Now you can be a complete beginner. Many of my athletes are complete beginners. But if they're willing to train, not just exercise, they will be successful. Because if you're willing to train, you communicate effectively. You give me the color of how your training is going. It allows me to get an insight on how you, you are responding to the training, how your body is adapting to it. And that at the end of the day, for all of you, even if you're not coached, as you journal your own training or as you take a step back and analyze how you're doing in your own training, if you're coaching yourself, think about, well, What's the color? How am I feeling? How am I eating? How am I sleeping? How am I doing day after day after day? When does my body break down? What are the changes in mood um, if I do too many big days in a row? Where am I losing my motivation? Where am I getting up in the morning and go, ugh, I don't really want to train today? All those things tie into the bigger picture of am I shifting to training or am I just exercising? 
And to be clear, exercising is where you do what you want on the days that you want to do it. Training is where you have intention, a plan, a desired outcome, a focus of prior the workout, prior to the day, prior to the week, with it, that you know what you're going to do and you're committed to doing it until that outcome is achieved, until that intention is followed through on, until you have clarity around what it is you're doing. So intention and execution versus this is what I'm in the mood for. This would be fun today. I ought to do this. That's exercising. And so with that, we build a lot of habits around how you can get better at this type of endurance lifestyle. And around those habits, there's a lot of um, self-awareness and reflection that can happen. And personal reflection that I'm talking about where you sort of, since you don't have a coach, um, where you do work through some sort of diary or journal so you can record what's happening in your daily training life and record what you're grateful for in that training life multiple times a week. Maybe you don't have time to do it daily. But studies have shown that these kind of practices of personal reflection, especially when it comes to your training, help us better process life and remain joyful about the good we experience, about the things that are happening, and you are able to process it better and feel better about it, which creates the better motivation, which then creates the better habits, right? Um, our life is busy enough. And so having a variety of ways to look at it daily, a few times a week, and to realize how good we have it, how healthy we are, how committed we've been, how successful we've been, how many workouts we've done, how we've actually felt after the workouts, how we're getting stronger, fitter, better, smarter. That's all very important to keep our lifestyle that's already very in our busy life very hard to do. It gives it more momentum. It allows you to sort of realize, wow, this is this is really having a positive impact on me. Another way to do that is that I've talked about is within that reflection is to make sure you stay focused on not only what the workouts are ahead for the week, let's say you're looking at it on a Sunday and seeing and how to plan for your week, but that you use those note cards that I talk about, right? That you insert a note card, let's say into your daily planner, or um, you have it somewhere with you during the day. I think a handwritten note is quite important versus just sending yourself an email or setting a reminder or a text or something on an electronic device. But because you have that handwritten note card with your intentions and your desired outcome for the workout and why you're doing it and maybe what you did last week on those intervals and how you either the same with a lower heart rate this week or at a slightly faster pace or that you felt better doing it just to capture last week or the past few weeks in some paces or some um, when you write down the card that you realize or you look back and go, okay, this is this reminds me of how I felt. All that on a, just a simple index card, you can fit so much information or enough keywords in there to really connect to how you did it in the past. And again, show that you're improving, show that you're getting fitter, show that you're recovering faster, or as well as at the end of the week, taking a bunch of those note cards and going, man, back to the initial point, look at all this intentional, focused, clear 
workouts I did. Some mantras on there. Some, again, reminding you of the intervals you want to do and prior writing down the paces, prior writing down the wattages, prior writing down the cadences, prior so that when you actually do it, it you connect more to your intention. And then the conversation when you want to just exercise instead of train becomes easier because you like I wrote it down. I said I would do this. I'm just going to go out and execute it. And once you get going, you'll be successful at it. And it becomes so important in that respect. And one thing I don't really talk a lot about on this podcast, but it is part of um, maintaining this endurance lifestyle and making it a little bit easier to stick to the commitment and the habits we have. Find some sort of social relationship, social connection in this training. Now, so much of this is heart rate based and wattage based and individual based, and you're better off executing it with your limited training time on your own since you're not relying on schedules of other people. But like I've often said, don't, um, don't miss an opportunity to ride with other people on recovery weeks or on easy rides. Don't miss an opportunity to go on a trail run or run with friends or peers or others that like to run as well on days where you don't have a lot of things to execute. And as you all know, I love a good master's program. I thrive in it because it is my social connection and training. I spend so much of my time cycling and running on my own during the day because, you know, I train during the week, not on the weekends, there are kids and activities, but so therefore, my, my master's group and the friends and the people of all levels that I connect with and I like to coach sometimes on the swim deck, on the pool deck, on the swim deck, um, all helps me maintain habits and routines and a social connection to getting out there and continuously swimming in this case. Now, of course, it's easy for me. I've been in this community for 25 plus years. Yes, but for all of you as well, Look at the social connections and resources that you might have in your area and trust that your benefits of meeting up with a few people for a ride or a mountain bike ride or an easy recovery ride or a shakeout run or doing some strength work with some other people because you can all go off and do your machines, they do their machines, but at least you're meeting with people and you have an accountability and you have a fun and you have again, a social connection, which back to the original point of in your journals, in your diaries, in your reflection, in your notes, you, you actually cherish and notice, wow, it was nice to see so-and-so. It was fun to train with him or her. He or she pushed me. I would not have gone that hard. I mean, finding a good peer to train with and hold you accountable to your intervals and you then to their intervals or their similar strength or they're sitting on your wheel hanging on, but they're getting a workout too, but yet you're on the front and able to execute your training. There's a thousand ways to be social in the training and have that extra way to continue on your commitment to a very difficult goal that many of you have. You all have looked into the ultra endurance space and endurance space for something challenging. And how am I going to get better in my commitment and my daily process towards that? Well, this is another area on how to in, 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 in continue with your commitment and enjoy the habits that you're creating. It just underlines 
this training can work. This training can work with a variety of steps. Because let's not forget, I mean, everyone's life looks different, right? We're all busy. And there's times where we're busier than others. And these endurance events look quite overwhelming as even in that individual season as we're training. Um, you think we have four or five good weeks of training and then something gets thrown in there. And we've talked about wedge weeks, but sometimes it seems overwhelming, disordered, stressful to get in the training and what life throws at us. But it's in those times that these, these habits that I'm talking about with regards to social connections, with regards to daily personal reflection, with regards to daily um, um, a focus towards intentions and clarity and output simplifies that product, uh, that product, that daily commitment simplifies our stress, simplifies what we're trying to execute on. And these weekly or daily practices, it depends on how often you can do them, can really help you on your ways to those long-term desired outcomes as a way to focus, stay connected. And then like I often talk about, the best part about being organized in your training versus exercise, again, another example, is when you are in training and you have this focused, let's say a note card, but you know, or a printout of your workout, or you know exactly getting up in the morning what you're going to execute today. It allows you to clear your mind, go out, execute the training, not overthink it, execute, do, finish it, close the book, right? And it gives you more clarity for the rest of your, your day. It gives you more emotional and cognitive energy to focus on those things that are stressful, that are requiring your time versus this gray transition zone that you're sort of thinking about the training, but you're also thinking about your family. You're also thinking about your work stress and it all becomes too much. Whereas clear cutoffs of finishing the workout and moving on with your day is a very nice feeling because it sits in the back of your mind going, you know what, that went well today. Everything else is a bonus, right? And in order to do it that clearly, close the book, open the book, close the book and put it behind you, you need intention, you need clarity, you need to know that you're training versus exercising. So. Anyway, I want you all to thrive in this um, endurance lifestyle and some of these bigger endeavors that so many of us take on. And it's overwhelming. And a lot of my week and my time working with athletes is helping to advocate with them and stand beside them and help motivate them and guide them through their busy lives because we're all busy in order to get a better um, consistent track record because the consistency as that builds up it's just going to make it more and make you more fit and as well as make this whole process way easier. So thrive, thrive in the endurance environment. So let's dive right into a good stack of emails here that need to be answered and are still open from um, the oldest one here looks to be April 25th. So hi, Chris, I'm writing because I have a few questions with regards to my training for a 50k in the fall no set date. I have a few weeks of bike packing and backpacking planned for the summer. And I was wondering how these might impact my training. Should I try to work in some short, very short runs a few times a week, just so that I can remain connected to running form. Although I expect this to be highly unrealistic, since I will most likely be exhausted from all the cycling and hiking I will be doing. However, I can still expect that these adventures 
will help my aerobic base for running? Question mark. Well, to answer the first part of that question, we've talked a lot about this with overall general fitness and the heart really not knowing what we're what activity we're doing. Now, of course, that's not enough in order to let's say you cycle two hours every day or even five hours every day that you can get off of a bike and uh, just off that training and think you can run a decent marathon um, a few weeks later. No, that's not unfortunately how it works. Otherwise, cross training would be even more popular than it already is. But you do have an aerobic engine. You do have an ability to uptake oxygen and work, deliver it to the working muscles. You do have um, an, an energy burning system from fat and glycogen that is efficient because of the other exercises you're doing. So you have a variety of components working for you that when you do switch to the sports-specific training you need to do from a durability standpoint, from an impact standpoint, joints, neuromuscular firing, efficiency of motion and economy, all that, you're already benefited from being healthy and fit from an aerobic and an oxygen aspect and a heart aspect from those other activities. Now, of course, a 30-minute, a very short run every day is fantastic. 20 minutes, that's plenty. It's fine. It's what you can do. And so the other part that I often say to athletes here is, well, what is the reality? And accept that reality and don't hold yourself accountable to something that's not reality. Because if you hold yourself accountable to something that's not reality, you feel let down. You judge yourself if you can't do it. So setting unrealistic expectations and then falling short of that has a double whammy effect. You're disappointed in yourself because you thought you could do it and you built expectations of the outcome of having done that if you were to have done that. Well, that's quite confusing, but you get my point. So given that this bike packing and hiking trip is happening, which is great, that's exactly an overall outdoor nature, fitness, um, health, adventures, self-curated, everything that I believe in, it's fine. That 50K, if it's not ideal, if it's not perfect, there's a few things going on there. One, there's more. There's other 50Ks you can do. And two, going into that 50K, knowing that you had this beautiful experience and adventure that was still healthy outside in nature, um, camaraderie, friendships, memorable experience, all that. You know going into that 50K that you could have technically trained more, better, and had a better result. So already that knowledge, that looking in the mirror and knowing that there's a better athletic version of yourself specifically to that 50K available, that's awesome. That's all that is part of the momentum and confidence and habits and consistency and joy we get out of being fit about out of doing endurance athletics and achievements and adventures and experiences we're not looking to win these things we're not looking to find a new profession in them we're not looking to somehow surprise ourselves and be like oh wow i i, I could be a full-time runner no these are our hobbies. These are things we do in everything we didn't go pro at. And so holding ourselves accountable and judging ourselves on the output, on the outcome of a 
an event is just going to limit our joy and excitement in doing it. From another angle, quite honestly, all it is is a validation aspect, an ego aspect of us saying, well, I am good at 50K. Look at my result compared to others. It makes me feel more accomplished. Well, the training and your experiences with your friends and that backpacking trip and that bike packing trip and the times with that will be more memorable will be more meaningful, will be longer lasting and more impactful than remembering your placing at some 50K, at some race somewhere. And those are the things we want to keep in balance and keep in mind because down the road, your best athletic self in 50Ks, in triathlons, in ultra running, in cycling, in whatever event, in trail running, in sailing, in car racing, whatever it is, will come forward. But it doesn't have to be perfect every time. And if life presents experiences and opportunities and curated adventures like this, be fit for them and draw from those experiences and those times and those friendships and community and being outdoors to motivate your future best athletic version that will come out eventually. You will have that opportunity. And so the benefits are only positive in that respect. And throw in there, um, however, can I still expect that these adventures will help build my aerobic base for running? Somewhat. I think I already answered that. But yes, of course, if you can run 20, 30 minutes a day, that's great. But set some parameters for yourself prior so that you don't hold yourself in, in, in judgment after that you didn't do it. Because a goal and a, or a, something like this should be real, realistic and executable. And otherwise, it comes with negative and downsides. Also, at the end of August, I will be starting grad school on days where I'm only able to squeeze in, say, a short 30-minute run. Should I keep those shorter time periods committed to zone two? Or would it make more sense to use that time for some fast interval work? Well, it depends, once again, what you're getting ready for. If that 30-minute run is getting you ready for a 10K, well, yeah, you want to run that usually pretty fast. But if you're getting ready for this 50K, which is, I think, what the question is in regards to, then I would get together frequency, frequent running. Now, could you put some speed play in there to keep it interesting? Yes. And there it's a question of consistency. If you can get six 30-minute runs in a week, and maybe one longer one, well, that's, you know, three, four, five hours of running a week. That's going to be better than either not doing it or trying to find only longer runs in that time period. So 30 minutes a day, add some leg turnover, add some efficiency movements. Yes, some VO2 max stuff. Yes, some speed work, but not every day. Other days, you'll come out of your schoolwork and your coursework and your study work, and you'll just want to go for a run. That's what I hope many experience, that they just want to go out and move their body, get the blood flowing, exhale, connect with their physical being, their athletic self, and just come back re-energized, revitalized, um, more creative, and just having 
that 30 minutes to yourself and your inner self and your physical self and in some case your spiritual self that is plenty valuable than again a 50k outcome which quite honestly there are plenty of and you will have better windows in life to have the result that you feel you're capable of but don't always look for the best result at the next event because the windows of life might not be open for that and so accept that that's the current athletic version of you okay email number two hi chris hope you're doing well i enjoy your weekly word podcast as well as your time with rich roll on his podcast i'm not new to fitness but i am new to triathlons he's 46. i'm interested in an olympic distance and maybe a half ironman triathlon in addition to triathlon training i have other general weight loss core strengthening and flexibility goals perhaps incorporating TRX, yoga, and Pilates. Given my goals, do you think it makes more sense to engage a coach such as you that's virtual or remote, or would you recommend that I find a local coach who can be more hands-on? Also, is it better to find one coach that can structure a program that incorporates all my goals, or find two separate coaches, i.e. a good triathlon coach and a good functional fitness coach? Well, um, there's a variety of concepts to unpack in here. And that is what your desired outcome is for some of these events, as well as with your um, general weight loss, core strengthening, and flexibility goals. Um, Where are you currently and where are you looking to go? And coaching isn't about um, helping you get there just easily. Coaching is about helping you achieve that where you're running up against a wall already, where you need some advocate or somebody to run bounce ideas off of, or someone to give you a different perspective and shift in how you've been doing it in the past, or maybe to bring that performance level, that focus, that intention, that clarity to the next level. If you are looking to exercise, like I've talked about, and just partake in these events, Well, that's a different type of coaching and a different type of search and a different type of need. If you need more um, 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 technique and um, need to work on avoiding injuries and become proficient in the swimming, in the biking, in the running, if you need help with strength and conditioning and TRX and Pilates stuff, you will need coaching in order to get the movements and the the outcomes to be effective for you. So there's a lot of different ways to describe around this. Now, if you're already familiar with TRX and yoga and Pilates or have classes and have a network where you are in order to get instructors um, to help you with the proficiency and form and technique there, and then you're looking for performance gains in Olympic distance and maybe a half Ironman triathlon, well, then a virtual coach can help you. So it depends on your budget, it depends on the time available, it depends on what you're looking for, it depends on your experience in these sports. You said I'm not new to fitness, so there's a lot in there. Um, So I know I'm not really giving you the exact answers to each one, but again, there's variables that will help dictate and clarify what you're looking for when you look at it from these perspectives. The other question you have is with regards to 
one coach to fit all that or a good functional fitness coach. Once again, if your results and if your desired outcomes in triathlon are just to do decently and partake in them, not have specific performance or placing or time goals in them, I would focus on the strength and the yoga and the Pilates and the core strengthening, weight loss and so forth goals. Because there's more things that could go wrong there with regards to getting injured or doing it wrong and not helping your progress in partaking in the other events. If you're looking for performance and time and placing in your Olympic distance and possibly half Ironman training, well, then I would look for a triathlon coach. And because the other um, um, goals here with weight loss, core strengthening, and flexibility will be subservient to what you need to do in the swim, bike, run field. And they will complement your bike, swim, and run training, not be a heavy weighted aspect of your week and the hours you're applying it to. So again, it's across the board, budget, time, priority, importance, future outcomes, length in the sport, your knowledge in it, history. So it depends on a lot of different things, but that's how I would answer it. Email number three, trying to knock these out a little quicker than I have in the past. Um, Subject line is old masters athlete and the pursuit of lifelong athleticism. Well, this could be a bigger one. Maybe this email won't be as fast as the other ones. Dear Chris, my gym is full of athletes over 50, many of whom have been active most of their lives. Sounds like an awesome gym. Some are there for social reasons. (laughs) Yes, as we know in many gyms, some purely for health. But most are working hard and training with intention. At 57, I'm still fully engaged with training and the pursuit of lifelong athleticism. It is inspiring to see many older masters athletes operating at a very high level. You, Rich, and Dean, for example. I'm assuming you're talking about Dean Carnassus. Um, nevertheless, there are several challenges and issues that arise for older master athletes. And I don't know if you've covered this topic on in depth yet on the podcast or in a conversation with Rich. I'll briefly list some issues and I'd really like to see if you can tackle one day to seek on the weekly word. One, learning to let go of your younger self in terms of performance, times, distance, and efforts. This is a massive issue of ego management and not easy to master. I will stop right there because these are great topics to bring up one by one. Yes, comparing to our former self is very difficult. But there is a big but in there. And it it comes a lot into the psychology and strength of ego, absolutely, and confidence and so forth. Um, Accepting who we are in the now is a very big component of that. And part of accepting who we are in the now comes from being um, accepting uh, and being at peace with who we were in the past. And this is why I bring it up on the podcast for many younger listeners, your opportunity now to set up a future where you will be pleased and happy and 
confident and proud of your achievements of your younger self so that when you look back, you feel good about your continued progression and growth and ability and um, accomplishments in health and fitness does tie into this. And I say that from personal experience because I feel very good about my triathlon career so that now I don't look to connect or compare or try to validate or hold on to anything I did back then. I feel very good about my swimming life and career. And at, and I will say this, I didn't when I finished. I felt I had unanswered questions that I didn't apply myself as well as I could. Um, there's a lot of things I learned later in life. I would say the 20 years after swimming, I learned more about what I could have been or applied myself in swimming than I ever knew while I was swimming. I was too young and too caught up in the in the machismo of it and the self-validation of it and the imbalanced three-legged stool of it because I didn't have a family or a career yet. So it was just one big fat leg of that stool um, balancing, <laughs> teetering. And so, but I've come to terms with it and I've come to accept that that part of my life will never come back and that I did what I could with what I knew and what I was capable and as mature as I was back then. I can't change that now. And that's also how I approach um, athletics to this day, um, knowing that I've had some very, very fortunate and great careers in two or three sports and knowing that I took every opportunity in triathlon and ultra running and multi-sport um, adventures and, and just embraced them and enjoyed them fully. That's the part that I love the most about it now. And of course, I still have a hugely deep competitive vein and it does spark itself or does come to the surface of my skin every now and then, but I'm quickly able to um, see it from a different angle. And that is the enjoyment, the camaraderie, the community, the, the ability to do it, the gratefulness, the understanding of the work it took to get here, the em embracing and enjoying the moment of these events in some beautiful parts of the world, as well as the, the, the journey and training and the times out there. The, the health and the fitness and the ability and the thankfulness for that and the ability to do this and the hours available. So there's so much that goes into it that therefore creates a narrative that, no, we shouldn't have to look back. We should enjoy what is now and from that grow forward. Like there's still so much athletically a 57-year-old can do. And that 57 still has a good 20 years of endurance adventures in front of them. And if you choose to take on different adventures, I believe your perspective of how you see that now and how you enjoy that in the now and how appreciative you are of the fitness now and how much calmer and less competitive and less ego-driven, I hope, you are. It allows you to enjoy the event at a completely different level. And 
that's also why I've chosen to do different events in, in a different atmosphere, because I want to be with people who embrace the event and the journey and the nature and the outdoors and the day and the weekend and the fun and the experience of it for what it is. This amazing opportunity to do something, not because I want to crush the person next to me and beat them and you know be top five in my age group. Well, great. That takes away from the beauty and the meaning and the depth of that day, of that event, of that experience, because you're stuck on the shallow top level thinking that this is what's important. But the depth of the event, the depth of the experience is what you'll remember. And the beauty and the surroundings, not who you beat, not that you were fifth or 12th or 83rd or even second or first. It's more that you remember the little nuances of the day, the, the views, the experiences, the struggles, the camaraderie, the smiles, the things you overcome, the, the things you remember from events are not how you stood on that podium. You remember the day. You remember your own narrative, how you spoke to yourself through an event, how you overcame, who you helped, who you were racing with who you're walking on the marathon with in an Ironman and got to know and have that conversation with. Those are the things we remember and those are the things that become important. Two, um, readjusting training and racing goals and expectations. I think this can be a very gradual but ongoing process. Well, um, what's your name? Dave. Dave, um, I can see where these numbers of questions are heading. <laughs> They seem to be heading towards um, still wanting to be very competitive and push hard against others in these in training and racing. And that's why I, I walk away from goals and call them desired outcomes because the goals become black and white and a very difficult thing to overcome when you don't achieve them. You seem to, we, not you, we all seem to have a different narrative when it's black and white, when we've achieved a goal or we have not, when we have executed or we have not. And so I think important here is readjusting the perspective with regards to adventures and outcomes and really maybe exploring why you're doing this. What, what is it about racing? What it is about endurance events, what it is about the training that you truly enjoy and how that comes to fruition on race day, on event day, and what's really more important to you. Is it your own personal best effort and outcome or is it that you might have done well versus others but didn't put forth your best effort? Because to me, that doesn't feel as good. Knowing that I sort of um, came at out ahead of others, but it wasn't really my best effort makes me feel crappy. Whereas if I put forth my best effort and I had a good training lead up to it and I did all I could with my current lifestyle and my current abilities and my current knowledge, and then I didn't leave anything out there on the course and I executed to the best of my ability and that leaves me in 15th place, so be it. That's what I care about. And it becomes more freeing and liberating once 
once I recognize that, especially in a competitive environment of, listen, dude, my self-talk, I call myself dude, is understanding to let go and realize you're doing your best. Is there more you could have done in your training leading up to this? No, you have a busy life, you have a family, you have work, and you have other priorities, and I did what I could do. And now I would like to, on event day, take that training, take that fitness, and apply it to the best of my abilities. If there's younger guys, if there's faster guys, if there's older guys that are faster than me, so be it. <laughs> they don't, they are not me, and they don't live my life, and they don't do what I do, and they don't have the exact same lead up as me, and they don't have the exact same history and run up and all this. And so the comparison becomes very, very vague once we start going, well, I should have beaten him. Well, why? How do, how do I know how much that person trained or how old they are, or what they do or what their experience is on the course and how well they've been planning for this event and you know their hours versus my hours, their abilities versus my abilities. And it just becomes a, a rat race, a game of back and forth on how I could validate and prove that I should have beaten that person. No, that doesn't work. And unfortunately, it just takes you down a path that you will never be satisfied. At least I know I have never been satisfied um, by constantly comparing and validating my outcome. And quite honestly, whenever I have to justify my result, it means <laughs> I didn't do my best. So I hope I answered that, readjusting training and racing goals and expectations. Now you're talking about this also with regards to age. And readjusting training and racing goals with regards to age, well, that's the beauty in many of our endurance sports is that we race against the same people because they're all still our age group. <laughs> our age group never changes. So, you know, you're racing 55 to 60. Um, so, okay, maybe in a bigger event, it's masters or it's 50 to 60 year olds, but you're basically in your category unless you're looking to compare overall. And that's a whole different ball game, which I hope you're not trying to do. But yeah, my, my times are slowing down. My wattages aren't what they used to be. My run paces aren't what they used to be. And that's okay. I also train less than I used to. And again, that's okay. I am completely at peace with that. Um, do I feel on days like I can be as fast as I once was just one more time? Yeah, I have that um, conflated impression. <laughs> I'm not sure it's reality, but I feel it. I feel good and I feel connected and I feel powerful. And I think, huh, I wonder if I could still do an Ironman or this run or a marathon or that swim as fast as I once was. No, not the best of my ability I ever was, but, you know, close to it within that range. I think that. I also know there's a reality around that. So readjusting training and racing goals and expectations. Um, yeah, I don't hold myself to the person I was in my 40s. And I definitely don't hold myself training wise to the person I was in my 30s. And that's because I was a completely different person. I had different hours available. I had a different approach. I had a different training group. I have a different training um, philosophy. 
all that completely different person and so i don't compare myself and i'm not sure how you are and david in this case but i would not look back i would look more forward three needing more rest days or easy recovery days to allow the body to absorb the training load and repair any damage true that is the textbook concern of older athletes but i will also say that when you're consistent with your training and you've been doing this for a while and you've done the z2 and the training zones the way you should be doing them those zones and that training is appropriate to you those wattages and those heart rates and those paces are no longer what you were in your 30s so you're not trying to hold yourself to those numbers and so therefore, because the paces have slowed down, the tax on the body is less and the recovery should be similarly in timing. So, and my training volume at those lower heart rates, lower paces, lower wattages, lower intervals, swimming in that case, um, therefore allow me to recover basically at the same level as when I was younger. Um, yes, my volume isn't quite what it was then, but I'm not quite sure that's a general statement that applies to everybody. Needing more rest days or easy recovery days just because you're older. I believe because of the individual aspect of training, your history, your consistency of years of doing it, your care for your body, nutrition, sleep, <laughs> recovery, um, I don't believe that you can say for everybody that they therefore need more rest days or easy recovery days. I believe that because of the heart rate zones, as I just described, it is individual to you and allows you to recover and stay within the tax and the, the cost on your body, similarly as if you're in your 30s. So something I don't agree with. I know some newly retired athletes who need to train six or seven days per week to feel like they're filling their day. Well, <laughs> again, that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, who need to train six or seven days per week to feel like they're to feel like they are filling their day. I can't answer that. I can't talk to that. I don't know what their situation is. Um, why they feel they need to train that much. Um, I, don't get me wrong. I am almost 50. I train seven days a week. But I also go through the cycles of easier days or just a swim day or just an aerobic day or a long easy day or intervals day and higher intensity work day or um, a couple of days of long days in a row and therefore a couple of days of shorter easy days. And so... Do I train every day? Yes. Do I have a specific outcome for every day? Yes. Um, do I need to train six or seven days per week? I would say the people around me would say yes, that I feel I have that need. But I also know why and what and what for. And of course, now I'm saying this as I'm four weeks out of Alaska, man. Was I like this in November and December? No, I could skip a day. I was fine with that. Um, do I prefer, do I enjoy to train that many days a week? Yes. Um, is it part of my daily routine, habit, makes me sort of, that not validate my day, but sort of um, put a stamp on my day? Yes. And it's all part of the lifestyle Emily and I live. So it just fits.
But uh, yeah, so that was need more rest days and recover days. Four, being really cautious about interval training Z4 zone five. Don't agree on based off the points I just made. Um, there's plenty 57, 65, 72-year-olds that I've coached that are able to handle Z4 zone five, VO2 max work just plenty because again, it's specific to them. And if their recovery days and their easier zone two days are properly spaced and done right, this has nothing to do with age. This has to do with the program and the coaching and the, the information being shared by the athlete so that then the coach can make the proper adjustments. Whether you're 16, 36, 56, or 76, the adjustment is in the communication back and forth between the athlete so that the training time is maximized that they're out there. So I find it more efficient and risk-free to work this engine on a static spin bike. Um, yeah, that's, again, it depends on years you've been in the sport and your history and your durability and the strength work you're doing and chassis integrity and what you've done in the past and how durable your joints are and all that. And again, that applies for a 26-year-old, um, how they're their training load because you can take a 26 year old kid and build up their volume too quickly running and they're going to be broken down and feel like a 76 year old pretty quickly if the zone four and zone five interval training is done in the wrong spot so not to be overlooked there um what else is in there here using zone two to build sustainable fitness in a bid, bid to achieve the goal of lifelong athleticism. Yeah, I don't think I really need to answer that. Um, challenging issues that arise for older math, master's athletes. Yeah, again, zone two training allows you to go get after it day after day after day. Um, because it's specific to you, it's not that taxing. It allows you to repeat the activity day after day after day without the cost being too dramatic on the body and therefore allowing you to wake up and do it again and create that engine. Six, moving towards new fitness adventures, i.e. mountain hiking and camping, open water wilderness swimming. Whoa, open water wilderness swimming. I like that. Expanding horizons as we age is not a given. A good friend tells me it gets easier to find reasons to stay near home. Well, yeah. I mean, again, with life experience, with having done a variety of events, with all the adventures out there, that's what I talk about too, curating your own endurance adventures and keep it exciting and do things that are new and stimulating and create that curiosity. And whether you're 57 or 76, it's also a question of, am I on the edge of what I deem is possible for me? Um, from an endurance standpoint, from a curiosity and growth standpoint, from a new training stimulus standpoint. And so any of this is fantastic. I mean, the more I'm diving into the Qatar quest here and the excitement of this event and doing something in a different culture and a different community with people that I'm not that familiar with, um, I know a few people, but I won't know most of the athletes and having this experience completely on the far edge, not of what I deem physically possible, but working with a, with disabled children and 
that whole encompassing experience in Qatar is on the far end of what I've experienced in the past. And my excitement lies in the curiosity of what those three days will be like, what the, the villages and the people and the culture and how to embrace it and live it and experience it in a fully submerged, submersive way. That is what I'm excited about and curious about and is on the far edge of what I deem is possible because, again, doing a reverse Ultraman creates a whole new um, endurance perspective. You know, we don't have any transitions, but we have to get up the next day and ride 147 miles on our bike after having run 60 miles through the hot desert <laughs> fully exposed over sand dunes um, for 10-ish or more hours will be brutal. And that night's sleep on night one will be complicated and will be restless and will be achy and fatigued. And getting up the next morning, the body will be um, um, achy and fatigued and um, disjointed almost, and then getting on your bike and riding again another 10-ish hours, 12 hours, depending on the headwind, um, which is pretty brutal at that um, part of Qatar. And so that's exactly what I'm talking about, moving towards new fitness adventures and yeah, open water wilderness swimming to expand our horizons, to create experiences that we will continue to look back and look forward to. Like, I'm so excited about Qatar. I'm so excited about going to Alaska uh, to experience the location, the people, the adventure, the newness, the beauty, um, nature, the running with a partner and the bears and the cold water. Yeah, am I intimidated by 48 degree, 46 degree water? Heck yeah, it's gonna be miserable. It's gonna be an hour of complete misery being that cold, not feeling my face, not being able to feel my hands. But that's the experience. That's the, the fear that keeps me um, alert with regards to my training. That keeps me on my toes with making sure I have the gear and the wetsuit and the thermal caps and preparing for it. That's the, um, um, the, the sense of urgency I create around the event. Um, am I intimidated by the bike ride? No. But am I intimidated by coming out of the water, being freezing cold, shivering for the next two, three hours on the bike? And despite the weather being decent, but never quite warming up? Yes. So it, it creates its own complexity within the event because of the environment and the terrain and what we're into. Not the distances, but more how the event comes together. And the same thing with something like this. Creating adventures. By the way, I'm going from the coldest environment, 46 degree water, where I think in Qatar we're swimming in water that's so warm and the salinity is so high <laughs> that we have totally different concerns. But yes, fitness adventures and um, no, we don't want reasons to stay near home. We want adventures. We want to live. We want to live our lives and living means challenges. It means that struggle I talked about earlier on the podcast. It means all that. Seven, should you train with younger athletes or with your peers? 
I don't know. That's a that, that's a good question. I love training with younger athletes, um, but I don't need to. I enjoy training with my peers too. Um, a couple of my athletes train with me, and yeah, they're they're in their twenties, and it is what it is. Again, did I ever think in my twenties I would be riding around in my fifties, still trying to ride with younger kids in my twenties, um, in their twenties? No, but here I am. I'm that guy. Um, should you train with younger athletes or with your peers? That's, again, what is available to you when you train. Like I train during the week. And so there's not a lot of younger athletes available at that training time during the day, middle of the day. Um, are there peers available? More, more likely, yes. So depends it depends again what your training outcomes are is it social is it competitive is it supposed to push you or is it just supposed to be somebody out there with you um, that will answer all those questions saying open to new fitness theories and approaches including nutrition and keeping the training fresh absolutely different events will do that um, i'm constantly tinkering and testing new training methodologies all the time, every single day. I'm either listening to it in books, I'm either applying it in strength and chassis integrity and training theories. Um, I'm also very big a proponent, as you guys know, for changing the events, doing things differently. Don't just continue, not saying this to everybody, but this is my approach and this is why I also recommend to many of my athletes is switch it up. Do different events, do different distances, do different types of events, which means don't just stick in triathlon, you know, do some trail running, do some open water swimming, do some bike racing. No, don't think of it as it's going to help my triathlon performance. Think of it, it's just broadening my knowledge and my abilities and my fitness and my strength and an adaptability in different sports. Too often I find that in triathlon, especially for triathletes, they do other events, 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, even marathons, um, bike racing, so, so that it enhances their triathlon. And it's not quite that transferable. But what is transferable is your depth and your broad knowledge of the sport and how to go about it and what you need to do and becoming proficient in the motions and the skills around it. Um, again, the wider your knowledge, the better um, the depth is of your specific skill. Um, it's an it's an old concept out of mastery. I think Robert Greene wrote the book um, of creating that T, right? A wide top of the T in knowledge creates a deep length of depth in the bottom of the T in your mastery and your skill. And the same thing applies here. You learning how other sports work and how to train for them and how to get stronger in them only enhances and strengthens your ability in what you're best at. And it's not a one-to-one -one translation. It's, oh, I'm running 5Ks in order to become a better runner at my half Ironman distance. No, it, I, you can't just say, insert those here and therefore it'll make me a better runner. But it will teach you the awareness and the training load and the speed and the turnover and the techniques and the track and the stretching that will come 
become helpful and beneficial at some point in time for your training. And the same thing is with new fitness theories, strength and other sports. And man, I don't read anything about um, triathlon. I don't read any other websites. I don't touch them. I barely keep up on um, even the sport, but I do pay attention to a lot of other sports and all of what they're doing and where the big attention is going into because that's where the exercise physiologist, the resources and the depth is not in our little side sports of trail running and ultra sports and triathlon and even swimming. It's more, well, swimming's got a lot of attention from a government standpoint around the world. Um, it's in the bigger sports where the exercise physiologists, where the breakthroughs, where the science is going. And I want to understand those and see how they apply to our endurance world because the ultra endurance world is lacks so much when it comes to applicability from other sports it's such a fringe sport it's so foreign to so many people i mean 99 percent of this planet has never done anything longer than a marathon let alone an ironman or anything so i mean we're a tiny minuscule little group in the athletic world we're at this tiny, tiny little pinnacle of those freaks that go that long, longer than four or five hours, longer than six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 hours. And when we're talking 10 to 30 hours, people don't understand that. When you talk multiple days, it just seems so foreign. So because the depth and the literature and the knowledge and the applicability is so limited in our ultra endurance and endurance world, I definitely go outside the box. I definitely am applying things from basketball, and baseball and football and swimming and track and field and some of the bigger Olympic sports and as well as those that get a lot of money flowing to them because I believe a lot of those concepts, a lot of that psychology, a lot of that exercise physiology applies, can help us in some way. And with that, you know, our ultra endurance world is so small that a lot of it I've done. <laughs> and I feel pretty good about having in-depth, um, personal, applicable knowledge of having done a lot of the ultra endurance events or similar that are out there. Um, and so from that, I want to reach beyond that. And so that, to answer your question, is very important for us as we become master's athletes to continue to pull ideas from other areas and keep the training fresh. I agree. From a personal per perspective, I can honestly say that since leaving my full-time college tutoring job, I find I'm making fitness gains. In short, I'm no longer training tired, good, there's no such thing. There shouldn't be such a thing of putting those two words together, training tired. Shouldn't be training when tired. And then you go, Chris, what are you talking about? Training and the fatigue and overcoming. Yes, but there's there, there's a different, very delicate um, relationship there. And it's defining the outcome of the training if you're going to train tired. And, and in most cases, for our ability to let go and understand what training tired really means um, takes the benefit away if we don't do that, if we don't know that. For context, my, for context, my main activity is mountain backpacking supplemented by running, cycle spin sessions, and strength training. When not in the mountains, I aim to train four to six days per week. 
keep up the fantastic work. All right, so I hope I answered most of this there. I, I've come a lot across a lot of mountain backpacking lately. Um, interesting. I wonder how heavy those packs are. Just shoot me a quick note. Let me know um, because I do a lot of um, rocking and hiking work for some of my special forces guys, as well as military prep guys. And um, I'm constantly having, also for my Everest guys, I have them on um, 30 pound packs and doing a fair amount of step ups and rocking work, as well as some strength work, as well as some um, descending mountain work, steep descents with a lot of quad heavy work. And um, I'd be curious as to what the mountain backpacking average weight is I probably could look it up, but while we're at it here. All right, we're into May here. Hi, Chris. Thanks again for all the information and wisdom you put out in the podcast. It's been great and help and inspiration. Wondering if you'd be willing to run my spring heart rate numbers for me. I appreciate it. I have a training plan question as well. Here's my data from the five times one mile. Remember, if you guys want to do a five times one mile test, it's on my website. Some of you have been asking about a cycling test. Um, I will put that up, um, on the website. Actually, I will put that out on the newsletter first because I want to go to a detailed description of it, um, before I just put it out there and, uh, add some color to it because there's basically three ways to do it. And the important thing is getting you to really push from the first moment on. And so, putting you, yourself into a mental space to be willing to put uh, forth that effort is important. And so there's a narrative around that. And if it's, let's say, a 10 or 15 or 12-minute interval and you gradually up the watts because you started conservative, well, that's not really the test outcome or intention that we wanted. But I also find that if we do the interval too short, that people blow themselves up within the first 90 seconds because they're like, oh, I can go four minutes. So I want to describe that in more detail. I'll put that into the June newsletter. It's June 6th right now, so that'll probably go out next week. Um, so he gave me the paces, and I think I already answered him. Yes, I already did with regards to the zone zones he needed. I'm training for my, uh, okay, thanks again for taking a look. Here's my planning question. If there's a simple answer, I appreciate any input. If it's too long and complicated to address in an email, feel free to tell me so. I'm training for my second 100-miler um, at Superior this September. Nice corner of the world, Wisconsin. Um, I really enjoyed the 50K training plan series and took a lot from it. If, if I followed it from the concept of your 50K plan for my 100-miler training this year, I'll at least be as well prepared for my fall 100 as I was last year, if not more so. Is there a simple, are there any simple changes you'd make to the 50K plan to modify for 100 beyond just adding volume, <clears throat> which is what I'm planning on doing and get as I get into July and August. I teach for a living and have plenty of time for slow running this summer. All right, well, this is a good question and um, somewhat important one. No, I would not just add volume because as you can imagine, the recovery time from 100 mile training is longer. And I would like the deliberate buildup of the body structure 
of the ligaments, of the joints, of the hips, of the glutes, of the hamstrings to be quite strong and developed. And I would go about it slightly differently with regards to um, preparing for it. I mean, because what we want to keep in mind is we want to avoid high volume leg intensive training when we're doing 100 mile work. Um, because we put a lot on our legs as well as our lungs when we're going through 100 mile training. Um, so uh, just adding more volume on top of other volume we've done that week um, just exhausts you versus having that training effect. Um, so that's one aspect to keep in mind. But another really important aspect that I've learned, but I also um, want to be careful of, and the difference between 50K and 100 miler is that hiking, which a lot of 100 miler is, requires a different muscle group and a different approach. In the 50K training plan, I didn't talk a lot about hiking um, because for most of those courses and most of the application of that, unless you're using it as a very hilly one to get ready for a 100 miler, you're doing way less hiking and, and uphill and down steep downhill hiking than in a typical 100 miler. Um, now, I'm talking mountain 100 milers. There's a ton of hiking there. But even in a regular 100 miler, there's a fair amount of hiking. And what seems to be flat seems to always add up to a lot more elevation gain in hills. When you're in 40, 50, 60, 70 miles of running, you're like, ugh. That's a hill. That's a climb. Whereas if you were fresh, you'd look at that and go, that's a roller. So um, therefore, we need to build up that chassis for durability and not necessarily for performance, as well as hiking up and downhill is quad and calf intensive. And it can lead to major strength imbalances, especially with the hamstrings, but also the glutes. And that leads to knee issues. A lot of my athletes wonder why they have knee issues. And most of the time, it's because of a strength question, bad bike fit or something like that. But a lot of times for my mountain runners, it's because of hiking up and downhill is so quad and calf intensive. And therefore, they have a huge strength imbalance with their hamstrings. So it's important to build up that hamstring strength when we are getting ready for a 100 miler. So those are some of the nuances of why 100 miler training takes on a, 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 not a completely, but quite a different approach. It's a lot more strength work. It's a lot more durability work. You'd think it's more volume because you're getting ready for a longer run, but I put in endurance weeks and longer run weeks, um, but then I bring back to strength and, and there's more speed actually than in a 50k so unfortunately I, i'm not giving you a lot of specifics because again that's that's a coaching question of um what applies to you let me word that differently what i mean there is going into a hundred mile the the question of durability and repetitive use injury is a big component into the training plan and being ready for what the course brings to you when you're going that long, 24, 30, 36 hours of running, moving, um, requires a different approach. And again, we set that up with a longer lead up of strength 
and durability and core and chassis integrity and hamstring strength and um, neuromuscular firing. And then we build up the volume and the endurance and the um, strength endurance of being out there. I have athletes right now getting ready for Leadville as well as Wasatch and stuff like that where we're still at a phase where they're wondering, well, when am I going to do the real running work? Um, and that's because we're going to quickly, the fitness is going to be there. The, um, the durability is going to be there. The volume is the part that is well, already on the back end starting to come up a little bit, but we'll have that in most of late June and July for an August and September event. The, the Leadville guys are already in it, but the Wasatch guys, not yet. So um, I hope that answers your question. I, I would be careful with a 100-miler that's specific to a 50K plan. All right, last question here. Um, now I'm 30 in, and with that, I want to have an, another episode just focused on these 10 more emails that I need to get through. And then there's two or three Twitter questions I want to get to as well. Hi, Chris. Congrats on over 100 episodes. Thank you for all your wisdom. This is from May 8th. The nuggets I've learned from the podcast have been tremendous in helping me with my own training and running adventures. I loved your thoughts on the 50K training plan. It made me itch to run an ultra again. The one aspect of training I still have questions about is elevation. I have three emails in my email <laughs> box right now about my own athletes asking me about elevation. So I'm curious what this is. In previous podcast episodes, you outlined how you gradually compact the total distance of an ultra into less and less time. Do you follow a similar pattern for elevation? I know that this is that as mileage increases, the elevation would naturally increase as well. However, I should note that I live in Chicago. Outside the weekends, when I can drive out to trails, elevation doesn't come easy. And if I am training for a spring ultra, half the time the trails are inaccessible anyway. Um, and, and only the flat lakefront path run is runnable. I've done a sanity sucking number of hill and parking garage <laughs> repeats plus run hikes on treadmills, but I am still unsure of what elevation I should aim to complete both in a single work in, workout and course of a week. For example, if a goal race has 10,000 feet of elevation change, what would an elevation buildup look like to prepare? It's a great question. And a question that comes up a lot also in my coaching and training. So um, elevation is one of those things that I would insert once I have the fitness platform that I'm looking for. And again, keep in mind, we all went pro in something other than what we're doing. So therefore, we can't integrate all concepts into the ideal race prepared fitness and therefore desired outcome. So when I say this, what I mean by that is I'd rather have my athletes have the fitness for the time and di distance. And then we work backwards to insert the elevation work if they've at least achieve the fitness and durability and um, yeah, endurance to get through the event. What does that mean? 
It means that if you're getting ready for a 50 mile event and I have you ready to run 12, 13, 14 hours, depending on the athlete, 10 to 12 hours, maybe depending on the athlete or eight to 10 hours, depending on the athlete, that is the first priority for me. Now, it doesn't mean in training you're going to be running 12, 13, 14, 15 hours, but that you feel connected enough that you're, as we compacted the distance, right? You did 25 on a, or 30 on a Saturday morning. You did 10 on a Friday evening. So now you have 45 or a 40. And then maybe on a Saturday evening, you do another 10, whatever, um, or five or seven, maybe. So that you get a total of, let's say, 47 miles or 45 miles over. 36 hours. Great. Um, so, the, I mean, that being somewhat the culmination of it, it might be 30 on a Saturday and 15 on a Sunday early morning and, a, you know, another 10 on a Friday afternoon. It depends on each individual athlete. The point here is once you've gotten that successfully absorbed, you come out of that injury free and somewhat connected and feeling confident and feeling good, then we add that component. Now, and, and elevation gains and changes and strength and strength around that with regards to step ups. And like I said earlier, we add some weight, you have plenty of good office buildings in Chicago to do those step ups in and do the climbing and stair, stair work in because a lot of a mountain ultra with 10,000 feet of elevation gain, um, you will be hiking those and not running those. Um, again, understanding how to run an ultra for those of us that aren't on the front pack is understanding that we run the runnable sections, right? We've talked about this. And so when you run the runnable sections and hike the steep ups, and in some cases the steep downs, but you focus on the hike steep ups, and downs. That's what stairs are great for. That's what step ups are great for. That's what hill repeats are great for. That's what rucking is great for. That's what, well, hill repeats because it's short, explosive, and we recover quickly and put a big break into a different stimulus. But it's all part of the concept that we're just looking to pull back on the energy expenditure and settle in on the elevation gain. So again, your confidence of knowing you can do the 50 mile or the 50K, the 100 mile or the 100K with regards to the distance, the time is to me personal, my personal philosophy and approach to this training as I'm hitting myself on my chest is that you can do the distance. And then we start inserting the specifics of the distance. I do the same for Ironman. I do the same for marathons. I do the same for most of the events I coach people for. Now, again, like my Everest guys or my special ops guys or my sailors or, um, you know, there's, a, there's plenty of events my athletes are doing which are unique enough that they're not going to do the event or have confidence in finishing the event. But again, it's a time expenditure question. It's an energy expenditure question. And if they're confident that from an activity and a simulation, which I have, for example, with my Everest guys, um, that, they're do that they're out doing something for 12, 16 hours continuously, whether that's up and down a hill or it's something less elevation game, but they're again doing consistent energy output for 16 hours, 8 hours, 12 hours, so forth, 
then we start getting more and more specific into what is needed for the given event. In the case of Everest, downhills, right? Your ability late to get down the mountain is the key, is the danger zone. The focus and the priority of getting up is the, quote, the easy part. It's coming back down and staying present and cognitive and fit for that. The load is different on the body. You're still carrying a lot and you're still dealing with a lot. You need to be fresh and strong for that joints, hips, knees, ankles, quads, hip flexors, you know, chassis integrity. But anyway, so elevation, that's what I would do. That's how I go about it. So in the case of Wasatch people, they're starting to add their elevation gain now in the next few weeks because they have the fitness to do 100 miles. In the case of Leadville people, now we're adding the specifics of the course into it because one, they have their Leadville training weekend coming up, so they get eyes on the course. Now I combine that with the training from the eyes on the course, too specific to what they saw, and they can transfer it and apply it and feel good about it. But I first want them going to the Leadville training weekend confident in their fitness and their abilities. And so that's what I'm, I look for, elevation, progression, and training. Um, and I think that it works well that way because, again, we don't have time to do everything. I'd rather you be efficient and successful and confident in the training that you are, can do the distance. And which ties me into the closing comments here of this week. That is so important is our proficiency before capacity in so much of this. Um, all of us want to achieve our outcomes. We want to achieve our results. We want to go fast. Injury, your durability, your length of staying in this sport is dependent on your proficiency. Because the more capacity, the more volume, the more load, the more stress you put on the body with bad technique, bad form, bad proficiency, just is not going to be as successful and as long and as durable of an outcome that you like. And if you're listening to this and you're interested in ultra endurance sports and you really have the curiosity to find out what's over the next hill with regards to from an Ironman, what's next, from a marathon to what's next, to what I am capable of, what is this best athletic version of myself able to achieve that I've never thought I would be able to achieve? What is my new normal? Well, we want to find that out. And that happens best and it keeps you injury free and it keeps you um, motivated and joyful and enjoying this entire process, the journey versus the outcome more if you're proficient in your form and technique and your motions before you add too much volume capacity. So keep that in mind. If you have questions about this, and need help with this. Well, what does that mean? Proficiency over capacity. Understand, am I doing my running form, my running motion efficiently, economically, 
before I just put more miles on that bad form, more miles on that weak hamstring, more miles on that knee that's bothering me, more miles on that overstriding, therefore heel strike I'm causing, more miles on that bike fit that makes my knee hurt, more miles on that bike fit that makes my back hurt, my lower back hurt, my shoulders tight, that makes my hands tingly, all those things. That's just increasing the time of doing something non-proficiently. That just increases the time where we're pinpointing certain pots, spots in our body where we're breaking it down and we're creating an overuse injury or a likelihood of it. I'm not saying it will, but the likelihood goes way up. And I want you in this sport. I want you enjoying it. I want you living it. I want you getting day better day after day, better tomorrow than you were today, better today than you were yesterday. I want the best athletic version of yourself coming out. I want you training, not exercising, all those concepts. I want what's best for you to explore the best version of you and for you to have the outcomes that you're curious about. You're listening. You're looking to cross that threshold. You're looking to slay that dragon. You're looking to overcome and enter that cave for the darkest and strongest and most difficult fight that you've had to, the struggle that you've had to ever really come across in your especially in your athletic life and physical life and maybe even mental and spiritual life and come out of that event out of that journey out of that struggle out of that training out of that overcoming a better stronger smarter more confident version of you that will contribute to the overall best possible current version of who you are the truth of who you are, the true you, the true self coming forward and truly shining of who you are, not what others expect you to be, not what you strive to someday be and are trying to sort of manipulate your body and your soul to becoming. No, the truth of who you currently are, what shines from inside you out and glows in your immediate surroundings and what lights you up. That's the truth of who you are. And that is the best current version of you. And athletics helps in that. Have a great week. Um, it is June 6th, D-Day, 75th anniversary. And thank you for listening. And thank you for indulging those first 10 minutes of my um, moments for the troops. And I will get back on this in the next few days to answer the nine more questions that I have. All right. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you listening, taking the time out of your week. And I'll talk to you all next week. Have a great week, everybody.